The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker, and you are listening to episode number 83. Today is Sunday, March the 4th, Oscar Sunday. For those of you uh, who are movie buffs out there, I'm joined by my co-host all the way in rainy, windy, nor'eastery New Jersey, Jeff Animal Wilson. Jeff, how are you doing on this Sunday evening, and did you almost get blown away in that nor'easter up there? Bill, we did not get hit as bad as Boston did. So it was okay. It was raining a lot. You know, had to put some buckets out in the kitchen to catch all the water. Uh, my front yard turned into a giant pond for a little bit. Mm-hmm. But overall, I don't think New Jersey got hit too bad. I mean, I can't speak for other towns in New Jersey. But uh, definitely not as bad as Boston. So hopefully over everybody over there is okay. Yeah, Boston got hammered. Uh, New York, where I'm from, and where a lot of my family still lives, they they're without power still in some areas, and they're not expected to get it back anytime soon. So, uh, hopefully, everybody stayed safe out there. If you're living in that northeast area, you weren't affected too much by that. So, how's everything going otherwise, Jeff? Pretty good. Pretty good. All right. Great story. Uh, so Jeff, I, uh, I, I'm so immersed in dad life right now. Uh, if you can't tell just by the shirt I'm wearing. Uh, so it's a trap, Bill. It's a trap. I, I was thinking about it today, and I started making a list of all the, all the dad qualities I've acquired since actually becoming a dad, besides having a child. So – Things like I get mad if my leaves don't get picked up on the right day and I spend Saturday mornings like messing with the sprinklers and and cursing about how I'm wasting water. And then like I actually bought pants at Costco. Like I'm in the club, Jeff. (laughs) This is like this has gotten more serious than I thought. I didn't know it would be such a transformation. Nobody warned me of this, but I I I have assimilated into dad life and I think Booze and fighting may be all I have left. So um I don't know, Jeff. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to help save me here. But speaking of booze, I, I want to bring this up at the start of the show. Um, you know, we always bring up alcohol at some point, but let's kick it off with it because I need to pour myself a drink because my throat's a little hoarse right now and I've had a long day uh messing with the sprinklers and cursing about the leaves and and the weeds in, in the backyard and all the dad stuff I've been doing. I'm exhausted and I, I need a, a, a little nightcap here. So what I picked up is a bottle of Jameson cask mates. And for those of you who are longtime listeners of the show, when Jeff came to visit last year in December, I believe it was, we did a live episode in which we had the cask mates stout edition. What I'm holding in my hand, only those of you watching on YouTube can see is the Caskmates IPA edition. 
So I'm going to go ahead and crack this live on the air. A little treat for the listeners here. You hear that? That was satisfying. I'm going to pour myself a little sifter here. So what they do is they take the Jameson Irish whiskey that we all know and love, that uh, that light and flavorful, vanilla-y, wonderful Irish whiskey. And this is the perfect time to enjoy Jameson because it's March, St. Patrick's Day season. So they take it and they age it in beer barrels. So in this instance, it's the IPA edition. So they take uh, IPA barrels and they throw the whiskey in there and it kind of absorbs some of the leftover IPA residue. And what Jameson has done is partnered up with local breweries. So this glass I'm holding in my hand, for example, uh, was aged in barrels that once contained Cigar City High Lie beer, which happens to be one of my favorite all-time beers. It's it's a really light, drinkable IPA. It's really hop-forward, but it's super refreshing at the same time. So I had a shot of this a couple of weeks ago out at a bar, but it was at the end of a long night. So um, let me get your reaction to everything I just said, Jeff, while I go ahead and and uh, get started on this here. So first of all, Bill, it sounds delicious. Second off, I really like the color, just looking at you swirling, swirling it around in there. But what do you think, Bill? You just tested it. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm definitely glad that I, I went and got a bottle, or I might have gotten two bottles of this, actually. Uh, they, they were running short at, uh, at the liquor store, so I, I said I better... I better grab two. I don't know if this is going to be a limited edition kind of thing, but yeah, so it's got, it's got the regular Jameson flavor, but it's a little darker, a little deeper and it, you could really kind of taste the IPA. It's, it's basically like when you take a shot of Jameson and you chase it with your beer, you get all of that in one sip. So you could see the color is much richer. So Jameson is usually kind of yellowy. And this is more of a, a caramel color, I'd say. So it's a little brownish. So it really gets some of that oakiness from the barrels. And then it gets some of that citrusy hoppiness from the IPA. Uh, it's really delicious. It's nice as a shot. It's nice to sip on neat. Uh, I might do this over ice. But other than that, I wouldn't do anything else to taint it. Um, regular Jameson I might do with ginger ale occasionally but i'm not big on mixers jeff i like my booze to taste like booze uh because that's what men do uh, especially after you know fucking with sprinklers all weekend i'm <laughs> so jeff since you're here talking to me i guess you're not watching the oscars not into uh not into the hollywood scene or is it just no movies you're interested in uh that that were nominated this year or what's the story with you and the oscars so, Bill, I, I'm a fan of movies. I, I'm a fan of certain actors. I think there's a certain art to them. But I've never really cared for the Oscars. I mean, I know there are people who have viewing parties of this and mm -hmm. yada, yada, yada. I'd rather watch The Walking Dead. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I, I'm not big on TV. I'm not huge into movies. The, the kind of movies I enjoy most typically are never nominated for these kinds of awards and i i turned on the awards real quick while i was having dinner before i called you to do the show and i saw meryl streep sitting front and center and i was like fuck it i'm out i can't i can't deal with this i'm still a little bitter jeff about her speech in which she said that 
martial arts are not the arts. I, I took this very personally, Jeff, because it, yeah, as you know, I'm a lifelong mar martial artist. I think there's definitely an art form to fighting and mixed martial arts in general, which is why it's called mixed martial arts. So Meryl Streep, if you're listening, we're not cool, right? So lose my fucking number. Anyway, <laughs> that's enough about the Oscars and, and dad shit. I told you we're not turning this into a, a dad podcast, Jeff. So that'll be it for this week. Let's get on to some violence. So we had UFC 222 from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada last night. And this one went pretty late at night, Jeff. I, don't, I think I didn't get to bed until around 2 a.m., uh, so it was a late one, but man, it, it was really an action packed card. There was a lot going on here. Let's start at the top with Christiane Cyborg Santos defending her women's featherweight title against Yana Kunitskaya, who, uh, you know, she had a, a, a pretty decent takedown in the first round and, and, uh, almost got Cyborg's back at one point And then cyborg just unleashed on her like the the patient picking your shot cyborg that fought holly home was not present last night this was a ferocious cyborg that was looking to hurt somebody and i think she very badly hurt a girl who by all rights should not have been in there uh, i i don't think she's earned a title shot which seems to be irrelevant in this division anyway and She's really a bantamweight. Uh, I don't think there's any fights on her record that have been fought at featherweight. I understand, you know, they got a pay-per-view to, to sell tickets for, and they, you know, sales need to be made, and the show has to go on and all that, but it's hard for me to get on board with this, Jeff, because I, I feel like these women are starting to be put in danger because you keep putting women who are underweight in there with cyborg who cuts a lot of weight to make 145 pounds she's a very large very strong woman this is starting to be dangerous and you and i were talking before we uh started recording there hasn't even been a non-title fight in the women's featherweight division that you and i could remember if anybody else can remember one uh, let us know reach out to us on social media but i don't think there's been a non-title fight in this division which means one the division's empty and two, what is the point of this division? It's just to put Cyborg on a platform, which obviously she's a very talented fighter, but it, it's just, it's hard to get on board with this, Jeff, when there's actually nobody else in the division. So you want to speak on your thoughts on the fight and, and why does this division exist? Because I can't really think of a reason. Yeah, I think that the fight went exactly as everybody else thought it would. It was basically like throwing a salmon at a grizzly bear is, <laughs> is the only metaphor I can use here. You know, Yana looked good for maybe 40 seconds, and then Chris Cyborg went off. Uh, the strength difference was huge, but it was interesting to see that Cyborg got taken down, I would say, pretty easily. Um the, the takedown was, like, a little off. Uh, Yana Kunitskaya was clearly very nervous. Um, was, like, like um, 
The only metaphor I can use is when I had my prom, it was half the boys on one side of the room, half the girls on the other side of the room. Before the first dance, everybody's looking at each other. No one knows where to go, really. Um, everybody forgot who their date was. That's what Yana Kuyatsuki's <laughs> guys look like. And like, next thing you know, you're her. diving at your date's ankles. Hopefully it didn't go that way. Um. <laughs> uh, no, not at all. And that, and um, yeah, dude, sadly for, for Yana, she just wasn't ready. Uh, the inexperience showed. She was super nervous. And Chris Cyborg just had her way with her. I think that she didn't really need all that technical stuff. Um, you know, Yana looked like she was done even just walking into the cage. She did not look confident at all. And, I mean, you can't really blame her. I mean, what's that girl's name? Jermaine Durandamy, you know, was avoiding this fight forever. Not a lot of people are lining up to fight Chris Cyborg here. Yeah, not only was she avoiding the fight, she gave up her title. She was like, if I have to fight Cyborg, then I'm good. You can have this back. Like, <laughs> this is a problem, Jeff. And and you were looking up the roster uh, right before we started recording here. The only other featherweight, legitimate featherweight on this roster is Megan Anderson. And, you know, she's been having injuries or whatever. You can't have a division that's made up of one woman. This just doesn't work uh you know we've had holly home we've had jermaine durandamy like we said amanda nunez is probably going to be the next contender but again all bantamweights there's there's nobody else in this division to the point where there has never been a non-title fight in the women's featherweight division again if i'm leaving something out uh no disrespect to any female featherweights out there but i, I can't i can't name another one and uh between the two of us jeff you know, we know we know a fair amount about this sport. We're not experts by any means. We just, you know, guys who like to booze it up and watch the fights. But yeah, I mean, credit to Cyborg. You know, she gets in there with whoever they put in front of her, and she does what she has to do. But uh, you know, how long can you keep feeding her these undersized girls? I, I don't know how the fight with Amanda Nunez will play out. Amanda has been really asking for it, which. You know, if she thinks she can do it, uh, I know she cuts a lot of weight to make bantamweight. So I don't know, maybe it'll be a good fight. But if it's not, then then what? You know, there, there's just no there's no featherweights out there. So it, in this case, like, do we have another Ronda Rousey situation where someone is uh, appearing to be the best in the world just because there's no competition for the time being? W what do you think, Jeff? You pose a really good question there. I think we have to wait to see Chris Cyborg versus Megan Anderson here. I I really think she's a good contender. She's a really, really good fighter. So we just got to wait and see. But I also, I wouldn't count out Amanda Nunez just yet. Because Nunez, like you said, she's a big girl. She hits pretty hard. Her ground game is pretty solid. I think she's pretty well-rounded. So I really want to see that. I'd love to see that in Brazil. I know that Cyborg's a little against it, but at the end of the day, I think this money, this fight makes a lot of money, and I think Cyborg's game for that. Yeah, I I really hope this division does work itself out because uh, the women's MMA situation in the UFC is is a bit of a clusterfuck right now. I mean, you have 
you know, uh, weight classes being created. And for the longest time, we had such a huge gap between the weight classes that women weren't able to, to move up and down with a few exceptions. You know, we had Jessica Andrade move from bantamweight to strawweight, but that's a huge, huge jump. Um, so yeah, hopefully, hopefully it works out. Credit to Cyborg. You, you know, she had a really vicious highlight reel finish there, uh, over, uh, you know, who's probably a very tough competitor. So let's move on down the card. And this was, this fight was put together at the last minute since, uh, Max Holloway had to pull out of what was going to be the main event against Frankie Edgar. So Brian Ortega steps in on three weeks notice and becomes the first man to ever finish Frankie, the answer Edgar. Uh, and he looked phenomenal. I thought Frankie looked great as well. I thought he was really light on his feet, even more so than usual. He was floating around the cage, but he just couldn't overcome the tremendous reach advantage that Brian Ortega had. And what a nasty knockout. It started with that elbow that, you know, he, it seemed like the elbow he was throwing was able to match the reach of Frankie Edgar's fully extended arm. Uh, and he really whipped it into Frankie's face. And, you know, we've seen Frankie recover in the past, but obviously, you know, he's, he's in his upper thirties now. So even though his cardio is still amazing, you know, the, the chin is, is one of the first things that's going to start to fade. Now, I don't think, I don't think any less of Frankie Edgar as a fighter. I think this is probably a statement that Brian Ortega is the real deal. Um, I don't, I don't know if I was fully on his hype train before this, but there's kind of no denying him now that he's been the only man to ever stop Frankie Edgar. What were your thoughts on this one, Jeff? Yeah, I agree. Um, as a huge Frankie Edgar fan, I think he's one of my top three favorite fighters. This was a little hard to watch. Um, you know, just, I, I guess I kind of built this aura of invincibility around Frankie Edgar, especially in non-title fights. He's only ever lost to Gray Maynard in a non-title fight that was three rounds. And, you know, before this, only three guys had ever beaten Frankie Edgar. Um, but to take nothing away from Brian Ortega, he looked great in there. He looked gigantic too, man. He looked like a welterweight in there. And he even said that he weighed in at 164 the day of the fight. Um, I don't know how someone gains 19 pounds in 36 hours, um, effectively or healthily. Um, so I find that just a little bit fishy, um, but I'm no expert, so don't quote me on this, but to take nothing away from Ortega's performance, dude, he looked great. Um, that short elbow in, in close range was reminiscent of John Jones and how he fought guys like Daniel Cormier, mm -hmm. where he uses his elbows as punches, and Ortega just looked great, man. He looked so calm in there, like he'd done this a thousand times before, like he'd fought, you know, um, top-class competition before. Ortega looked great, man. Uh, he looked good all around when uh, he grabbed Frankie by the neck because it looked like Edgar was going for a shot. Ortega grabbed Frankie's neck and you saw how frantically Edgar wanted to get out of it. Mm -hmm. And it, it looked like he, um, maybe Ortega's got a really strong grip. They could tell that Frankie did not want to be there overall. Really good performance. 
uh, really good fight. And I don't think Edgar's stock goes down. I think Ortega's stock definitely shoots through the roof. I think he's – and I'm kind of like you. I was not really on this hype train, but Ortega's the real deal, man. Yeah, and you kind of have to admit that now, uh, you know, whether you were on it or not before. And, yeah, I agree. I don't think Frankie's stock goes down at all. Uh, you know, he was supposed to get a title shot. He could have very easily sat this one out and said, no, I'm not going to fight this tough up and coming kid because I earned my title shot and I'm going to wait to get it. Uh, and I don't think anybody would blame him if he did do that, but he opted to take this young hungry lion, uh, in Brian Ortega on three weeks notice and, and stay in the fight and, and stay in the show. And, it, you know, you have to admire him even more for that. I don't know what's next for him. I don't know if he tries to, you know, make a case for the winner of Max Holloway and Brian Ortega. Obviously, Brian Ortega has to get the title shot now because he beat the guy who was going to get it last night. Um, you know, I think Frankie Edgar uh, is deserving of getting back in there if he can just get one win under his belt from here or possibly a move down to bantamweight. You know, we know he doesn't cut a lot of weight to make 145, although he is 36 years old now. I don't know how tough that cut would be for him, but there's definitely some interesting matchups for him there. So I think you agree that what's next for Brian Ortega is a championship fight with Max Holloway. What do you see as next for Frankie Edgar? Hmm. Good question. I want to say, hmm, Kevin Lee's been talking a lot, saying how he could beat some of the top guys in this division. So I say let him have a crack at it. I would love to see Kevin Lee try to take on Frankie Edgar and, and uh, really prove his case here in the featherweight division. Well, Kevin Lee's lightweight. So. My mistake. Uh, that's 155. <laughs> that uh, would still be a great fight, I think. Uh, <laughs> hmm. So Frankie Edgar, 145. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you got Jeremy Stevens, who, who's making a case for a title shot now. Um, but, you know, Frankie's already beaten him. And, it, you know, some of the other guys in this division, we don't really know what's going on. I don't know if Clay Guida's re-signed or, or what. But in any case, uh, I'm sure Frankie Edgar will be back. He'll probably have a pretty quick turnaround, hopefully take some time off to recover. So the fight before that is a kid who they're really trying to build up uh, because they have a great soundbite of of Snoop Dogg uh, <laughs> commentating on a fight on the Tuesday Night Contender Series, which I was a fan of. I hope they, I hope they uh, bring that back. And that's Sugar Sean O'Malley, who fought Andre Sukumtat. And when I was, I was actually texting with a buddy of mine while I was watching the fights last night, and I said, I think I was using the, the voice texting and it came up as suck some tit. So <laughs> I like him for that reason. Andre sucks some tit. We can start, <laughs> we can start calling him that from now on. So Sean O'Malley, uh, you know, almost put Sukum Todd away. Uh, he really uh, injured Sukum Todd's leg early on in the fight. And then. Towards the end of the fight, O'Malley threw a kick that was blocked, and it appeared to break his foot, and he couldn't get up. He couldn't stand for the decision, and then he was interviewed by Joe Rogan on the ground. I I kind of have mixed feelings. I, 
I do enjoy the fact that he's very marketable. He's very flashy in the cage. Uh, you know, he throws a lot of spinning attacks and he, he goes for broke. You know, he leaves it all in the cage. Uh, his grappling skills, I don't feel like are on par with what you should have in the UFC because Sukum Tat basically gift wrapped a, a, a couple of submissions for him. The triangle choke, for example, uh, Sukum Tat was turning to the wrong side and basically pushing himself deeper into the triangle. And for some reason, O'Malley couldn't make the adjustment to finish it there, even though it was completely locked in. And then I think there were two other submissions that that he he couldn't finish that were, you know, essentially given to him. And then uh, not getting up at the end of the fight, I feel like is a bad look. If he had if he had snapped his ACL or something like that, um, but a, a broken bone in the foot, I feel like you know, come on, dude, get up and stand on your other foot and and uh, you know be a little more respectful of your opponent and, and stand next to him when you get your hand raised. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. What are your thoughts on the fight, Jeff? And um, you, you have any feelings about the, the laying down interview? Yeah. So on Twitter, I posted a, uh, a tweet that said, Sean uh, BJJ blue belt O'Malley. <laughs> <laughs> because, I missed that one. <laughs> yeah, dude. Um, if you didn't go on like that tweet, you don't appreciate this fight because, yeah, dude, Sean O'Malley, ah, his grappling, his grappling. Yeah, it's just I not mean, there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that triangle, I think any purple or brown belt cinches it up. I think, yeah. I think they finish with a triangle. And especially in, that, in the position he was in, he just – he couldn't readjust, man. And I'm no expert. I can't do triangles because I'm a short, stockier person. But mm -hmm. dude, Sean O'Malley's got the frame for it. He's got those really long legs. Even if it had been a bad triangle, if he had locked it up the right way, um, even if the arm wasn't there because the arm was not in a good position, he had to bring across his body and it was closer to uh, when I mean uh, him, I mean Sukum Tat's arm was closer to O'Malley's right hip instead of being across the body but even so if he had locked up the triangle the right way and put on a good squeeze he could have gotten that triangle it looked like there was a guillotine attempt too that went awry because mm -hmm. uh sukumtot ended up on top of him and sukumtot i feel bad for him because he's a walking meme now um rashad evans was very upset in the post fight uh what's that called UFC tonight or whatever. He was very upset that Sukum kept going for takedowns after seeing the leg injury. And Andrew Rashad was saying, if you had just put him on the ground and then stepped away and made him get up, Sean O'Malley obviously couldn't because he was on the ground mm -hmm. even during the post-fight interview. If Andre Sukum had stepped back, they would have called in a doctor. They would have. It would have been a doctor stoppage, most likely, because O'Malley couldn't get to his feet. Yeah, I, I, I was confused by that too. Because if you can't, if you can't get off your stool in between rounds, then that's a TKO. Now, if you can't stand up at the end of the fight, I almost feel like that should be the same thing, because it in a real life fighting situation, if you can't stand up, then then you lose. You know, so I I don't understand. Maybe that's something they can adjust in the rules. But if you can't stand up, 
uh, when that third bell rings, uh, then you wouldn't be able to answer a fourth round had there been one. Um, so maybe that's something to look at in the rules. I don't know, but you know, he is big for that division. He's five foot 11 at 135 pounds. And obviously at only 23 years old, uh, he's, he's going to grow into his body a little bit more and probably move up a weight class, but there are some fun fights for him. Uh, his, his striking is a, is a fun style. He has one of those styles where he tries to knock people out and doesn't really seem to have any regard for getting knocked out, which makes for an exciting fire. And, you know, he's got, um, Snoop Dogg's, uh, blessing for whatever that's worth. So, okay, cool. Sean O'Malley. Uh, moving on, Andre Arlovsky and Stefan Struve. At the end of this fight, um, I really had no idea who won, and my feed was kind of cutting out in the middle of it, and Adelaide Bird was one of the judges, I think. So at, at the end of this thing, I was so fucking confused, and it, if I didn't know who would win and, and Adelaide Bird is in there, like uh, I wouldn't have been surprised if they declared Joe Rogan the winner. Uh <laughs> So uh, what were your thoughts on this fight, Jeff, between uh, Arlovsky and Struve? Yeah, the Arlovsky fight, I thought he was the deserved winner. I thought he did a good job of getting inside Stefan Struve, um, you know, surpassing that reach advantage. And Stefan Struve, man, um, Bill, in Spanish, we have this saying, um, you know, grande para nada which means big for nothing. It means that you got all this size, but you can't do anything with it. You're not strong. And I feel like Stefan Struve is a little man trapped in a big man's body. He doesn't know how to use his reach. <laughs> He's, oh, God, it's just like, dude, I, I, I'm upset. I, no disrespect to Andre Arlovsky. He's a tough dude. I love him to death. He's mm -hmm. been He's been fighting almost as long as the UFC has been in existence. Yeah. But, oh, man, Stefan Struve, you know, he's his arms are probably lo longer than my body, dude. Like, yeah. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think Grande Paranada should be the title of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is, that is awesome. Yeah, I, uh, I wasn't that into this fight, to be honest, so. Uh, let's move on. Uh, Kellen Vieira was had a pretty dominant performance over Kat Zingano, which I think would probably surprise a lot of people. Yet, again, Adelaide Bird was in there, who, for those who don't know, who don't watch any boxing, Adelaide Bird is the reason that Gennady Golovkin and Canelo Alvarez fought to a draw uh, last August or September, I believe it was. I think it was August. Um a fight which Gennady Golovkin clearly won, uh, according to even people who know nothing about boxing. And Adelaide Bird, who has judged hundreds and hundreds of professional uh, combat sports events, uh, scored the fight for Canelo. Uh, and she proved again last night that she either gets paid off or she just doesn't know enough to do this. And Joe Rogan had a great line where he was saying, uh, oh, how did they let Adelaide Bird do this? And John Anik said, um, you know, I met her once, and she's actually a really lovely person. She's really nice. And Joe Rogan said, yeah, so is my mom, but I wouldn't want her judging fights. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, that he nailed it. I mean, uh, yeah, she probably is a really nice person, but judging fights is not something 
she's good at and she shouldn't be allowed to do it. I don't know why there's no repercussions for this. Uh, she scored the fight for Kat Zingano when it was a very clear victory for Caitlin Vieira and and Joe Rogan was taking some digs at the judging all night long. I think he's he's pretty fed up with it and I'm kind of in the same boat, Jeff. What were your thoughts on this fight and what were your thoughts on the split decision? Yeah, it was it was pretty ridiculous. Zingano, the only round she won was a third round and you know, that one could probably be a toss-up as well. I think Vieira did really well. And as much as I love Kat Zingano, she wo- she lost the first two rounds easy. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Some of these judges, man. But Adelaide Bird in specific, in, you know, specifically, she has botched up fights before. Um, to go back to that Triple G versus Canelo Alvarez fight, if anybody listening has seen that fight, I don't think you need to be much of a boxing expert. I mean, I don't really follow boxing, and I figured out pretty quickly who won that fight. So, um, but anyway, I, I'm just glad that it didn't ruin the result or anything. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess there's that. I think this card uh, set the record for most split decisions in uh, UFC pay-per-view history, if I'm not mistaken. Don't quote me on that. Or do. Um, it's not going to really affect me either way. Uh, so let's go to another split decision. It was the UFC debut of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu phenom Mackenzie Dern. And Jeff, I had you check out a little video after last week's episode. I wanted to bring this up. Uh, <laughs> so uh, tell me what you thought about Mackenzie Dern's uh, post-fight speech with Joe Rogan. Yeah, Bill, I thought it was awesome. It was interesting how it started off with a Brazilian accent and ended in a Midwestern accent. <laughs> like, like Mackenzie Dern, is, it's just funny. It's like one of those people who goes to London for two weeks and then they come back and they ask you if they can, if you can, if they can use your loo. Get out of here. Come on. Come on. Yeah, bro. She went full Madonna. Like, <laughs> So for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, just – just go to YouTube and and type in Mackenzie Dern accent, and you'll find a phenomenally produced video. I wish I knew who made it originally, but I don't think the the most popular one is actually the person who created the video. I would love to give credit for this because it's hilarious because it shows Mackenzie Dern. So Mackenzie is probably one of the whitest names. It's got to be it's got to be top fifteen in as far as white girl names goes so she's from arizona i believe very nice girl very pleasant uh an amazing brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner multi-time world champion uh very high level black belt and in the beginning of the youtube video i think it starts at like 2011 somewhere around there she's just giving a normal interview sounds pretty much like a girl version of me and then (laughs) by by the end of this thing, she sounds uh, like like she grew up in Brazil, like <laughs> like, she, like she was a little girl raised in the favelas of of Sao Paulo or something. And and <laughs> the the best the best thing you pointed out, Jeff, was that they brought in a translator. <laughs> oh God, I forgot about during that, the yeah. post fight interview, who is George, former UFC fighter George Garzel. And 
Joe Rogan asked the question and and George looked at Mackenzie like, did you get that? And she's like, yeah, 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 I got it. Because you grew up speaking English. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you understood. Like, I'm sure she's I'm sure her Portuguese sounds lovely, but um, for sure, no need for the accent. Uh, (laughs) In any case, uh, kind of a messy performance here by Mackenzie Dern in her debut and you know, her striking is pretty wild. Uh, obviously anyone in the top 10 of this division w- would piece her up on the feet easily. Uh, forget about putting in there with uh, a Yoani on or a Rose Nami Yunus or, um, you know, Carolina Kovokovic or really like sniper strikers that you have in that division. She would have a really hard time. Um, and then when she tried to get the fight to the ground, she had a hard time with that too. She looked pretty good in the clinch when she landed. It looked like she was hitting hard, but you know, she wasn't really setting up her strikes. She was just kind of throwing wild and rushing in there, uh, trying to close the distance because I, I guess she would feel at a disadvantage from range. But, uh, overall, you know, I think the UFC has something good here. She's a very attractive girl. She's, you know, competed at the highest level in jiu-jitsu across the world. She's got some serious grappling skills. Uh, there could be some interesting matchups for her there. But if she goes in there with someone with great takedown defense and really clean striking, she's going to be in a world of trouble. What were your Any other thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Yeah, this fight was madness for lack of a better term um mackenzie dern dude she was just throwing these crazy strikes no head movement um you know every time she threw one hand the other was down so there was a chance of her getting knocked out with a counter punch or something but i mean uh, it, it was okay yeah yeah that's that's all you say about it it was okay um so Impressive performance. Alexander ha- uh, Hernandez also uh, making his UFC debut. Uh, doesn't let Benil Darius get out of the first minute of that fight with a, a nasty knockout. So Benil Darius, I feel like, is a guy who had a lot of hype behind him when he was first coming up and then uh, hit some bumps in the road. Uh, dangerous fight for him, uh, taking on a newcomer because you know we don't really know what to expect from people making their debut. And I feel like this probably set Benil Darius back a lot, but it was a great fight for Alexander Hernandez making his debut with a bang, so to speak. Any thoughts on this one, Jeff? Yeah, but I was really impressed with Hernandez movement and footwork. Um, Excuse me. He was switching stances a lot, which was really cool to see. Mm -hmm. And you could tell that Benil Darius was just not ready for it um, because the knockout punch, Darius slipped to his right, which is what you do. You know, it's the right movement when you're fighting against someone who's orthodox because it puts you out of the way of both that punch and a follow-up cross. However, when you're going up against a southpaw, which Hernandez was in the southpaw stance, if you um, slip the shot and you move to your right, you're right in the way of of a left cross. Um, which obviously you don't exp- you're not going to get from someone who stands orthodox. So, you know, Darius, it, it looked like he was a little unprepared for this fight. 
it, as opposed maybe he didn't spar with too many southpaws. He wasn't used to that movement. But uh, to not take anything away from Hernandez, that you know he looked really cool in there for the forty-two seconds that we saw from him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So definitely be excited to see him uh, back in there. I imagine he'll have a quick turnaround after you know only fighting for forty-two seconds. The only other fight I want to touch on, Jeff. Um, uh, because I feel like the, the rest of the undercard was not very eventful. CB Dalloway and Hector Lombard, which was a, a pretty competitive fight for the first round. But what happened was the bell rang to end the first round, and then CB Dalloway let his guard down, and Hector Lombard hit him with a 1-2 and knocked him out cold, basically. And Dalloway could not continue the fight. It was uh, ruled as a win for CB Dalloway. Due to a disqualification. Now, it was a little bit weird, and I don't know why there's not more controversy behind this because uh, you should be protecting yourself until the referee steps in. Because you know, some guys might be hard of hearing or your adrenaline's going, you don't hear the horn. Now, I do think Hector heard it, and then he hit CB Dalloway anyway, and then he turned and walked away and kind of back looked him like yeah that's right you son of a bitch and uh yeah not a cool move by hector lombard very unsportsmanlike but at the same time you got to protect yourself until you're in your corner or until a referee steps in there uh i don't think hector like had to reach over mark smith the referee to land those punches he definitely shouldn't have done it but yeah for sure don't just let your guard down when you hear the horn because your opponent might not hear it Especially if you're in there with like a, a Matt Hamill, for example, who can't physically hear the horn. You know, you got to wait for the referee to get in there or until you're a safe distance away before you let your guard down. What were your thoughts on this, Jeff? Yeah, but a lot of people are throwing a fit about this one, saying that it was two punches that Lombard threw after the bell. I disagree. I think the first one. I think you can kind of let him get away with because it looked like the bell was ringing as he was throwing the punch. The second one, uh, definitely uh, a little bit after the bell. However, I think the ref is at fault here, Bill, because the ref, yeah, he's yelling, you know, he's saying time, he's saying stop, he yells it twice, but it's the referee's job to get in there and grab Hector Lombard and protect CB Dalloway. Um you know, uh, what I'm not saying that that lets Lombard off the hook for this, but I think that the ref could have taken a, a few measures to prevent that second shot. Um, and if Lombard had thrown it while the ref grabbed him, that's a whole different story. I don't think there's any argument. I think it's DQ, but I think there were a lot of moving parts here that just kind of aligned at the wrong time. So I, I don't know if this could have been avoided, but I think that there could have been some measures that could have been better taken for the situation. Yeah. In any case, right call, because I think intent is irrelevant. You know, it, it was done and it was wrong and he got disqualified and, and good. Um, so probably won't be seeing Hector Lombard or CB Dalloway anytime soon. And Dalloway was coming from a, a pretty lengthy layoff. So uh, that's all I got for this card, Jeff, unless you want to touch on anything else. Nah, uh, all right. John Dotson was on here, but he had the most boring fight of his career. Yeah, I I think hmm, 
he's done that a couple of times and i i feel like he's trying to make a statement but i i can't i can't really get on board with it um i forget what the statement even was but i remember he he did it on purpose one time where he he had a, a boring fight where he just outpointed the guy on purpose and and he did it for a reason but i i don't know jeff when people protest i tend to tune out so um yeah don't do that don't do that shit um so we're off the hook for next week jeff like i was saying before before we started recording we got we got a week off from this job here that's not a job uh <laughs> if it was a job this would be a pretty amazing job you know if we just got paid to drink booze and talk about fighting uh this would be pretty awesome i wouldn't mind doing this every day but the next time uh we're gonna see any ufc action is gonna be st patrick's day march 17th and that's fight night 127 from the o2 arena in london and it's headlined by fabricio Verdum and alexander volkov now i feel like Verdum, you know he's he's up there i think he's still ranked number two or three in the heavyweight division cain velasquez might be uh, ranked above him, but I feel like he keeps taking these really dangerous fights that he doesn't necessarily have to. You know, he he stepped up and took a fight against Marcin Tabura. You know, young and up and coming fighter. You have to respect for Doom for for you know taking a fight against absolutely anybody anywhere. I mean, he's fought all over the world. He stayed very active for a heavyweight. Uh, Co-main event: Jimmy Manoa and Jan Blahovich, and the card kind of falls apart there uh stevie ray is is in there somewhere uh against k john johnson that that should actually be a really good fight that's probably the sleeper fight uh i would choose but other than that not a whole lot going on here jeff change my mind if you got it pulled up in front of you hey, that's gonna you're asking a lot of me bill uh <laughs> i don't uh, man i can't get excited over this one either just jimmy manua um uh, I like Jimmy Manoa. Doom versus Volkov looks pretty good. And, Bill, I disagree, actually. I don't think he's taking dangerous fights. I think he's the dangerous fight in a lot of these situations, man. His grappling is ridiculous. Probably one of the best um, in the heavyweight division. Mm -hmm. And his striking has come a long way, man. Um, I, I wouldn't want to fight, uh, for doom anywhere Yeah, uh, on the feet, on the ground. He's dangerous. So I feel like he's got a really good shot here and I think he's trying to make his way back to the heavyweight title after DC takes care of, uh, after, I'm sorry, after Stipe takes care of some business with, uh, Daniel Cormier, but, uh, I'm, I'm in the same boat, man. I can't really get into this one. Yeah. So let me just clarify. I don't mean it's dangerous for the fact that he could lose it. It's dangerous for the fact that he's so high in the rankings. He has nothing to gain by fighting these guys and he has everything to lose because if he were to lose to Volkov, he gets knocked down the ladder, but if he wins, he pretty much stays in the same position. So we can get, you know what? Let's, let's do a little research this week. Let's watch some tape on some of these more, uh, on lesser known fighters. And, uh, let's come back with a fresh opinion because I want to get excited for this, especially, with a one-week layoff. You got anything else for this week, Jeff? Actually, Bill, one last thing. I have a movie for you since we've been talking about the Oscars. Let's do it. And, and Bill, I've been trying to help you out a little bit with Spanish. I've been a little bit lazy with it. But 
um, there's this movie called Y Tu Mamá Tambien. It means, and your mom too. <clears throat> so, excuse me. All right. So, um, it's basically a coming-of-age tale. Um, it's about these two young kids. They're in high school. They're about to go off to college in like a year or two. Mm -hmm. And they just hang out over the summer. And they decide to take a road trip to impress a girl, basically. So, them two and uh, this girl... The three of them go on a road trip to this beach uh, that's like on the other side of Mexico. So these guys live in Mexico. Um, really good movie, man. Uh, the message at the end is pretty cool. It's just, you know, enjoy life no matter what stage you're at, no matter who you're with. So really cool movie. It's all in Spanish. Uh, you can find it on Netflix. And this movie has, it came out when I was in like uh, middle school. And it's, it's won a couple of awards. It's, uh, it's one of those like, um, it's like one of those movies you'd see at like a Sundance or something. Mm -hmm. So it won't have anybody like super famous, but it's a really good movie. Um, there's some, what do you call it? Like dialect in there. Uh, some words that I didn't even understand in Spanish because I'm not Mexican. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think you enjoy that movie. It's pretty cool. Cool. As long as it has subtitles, I think I can get on board with this. I do. I do want to keep brushing up on my Spanish, Jeff. And uh, we'll start with Grande Paranada, which is what we're <laughs> going to call this episode now. Uh, <laughs> I like that one. That's my new favorite phrase, I think. I'm going to start using that one probably when it's not relevant to the situation <laughs> I'm in at all. All right. So uh, we're going to call it here because we can reconvene next week on UFC Fight Night 127, dive a little deeper into that. And who knows, maybe some news will come up maybe we'll actually talk about like something conor mcgregor does i think we're probably one of the only podcasts that never talks about him because he's not fighting and if you're not fighting we don't talk about you because uh, even though i just contradicted myself by mentioning him but i only did so so i could bring up the fact that we don't talk about him in any case if you want to follow us on social media and let us know if we were wrong about anything like you know no non-title fights in the featherweight division or or jameson castmates being delicious by all means we love we love hearing that we're wrong we love hearing that we're right uh, i loved all the positive feedback on the video promo i released last week so thank you everybody for that if you're not already subscribed uh you know where to find the podcast uh, if you want to watch on youtube we're on youtube as well please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you happen to be listening. If you want to get a hold of Jeff, it's at animal underscore Wilson on Twitter. And of course you guys know how to get a hold of me. It's at MMA on the rocks, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, MMA on the rocks at gmail.com. If you want to send me an email, I'm very friendly in real life. I promise until next time. Cheers, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>